Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 15 with me. Romans chapter 15. And uh, if you don't have your Bible, you can uh, take a Bible in front of you. It's in the second part of the Bible towards the end. Romans chapter 15. In the last passage, Paul told the believers about his rationale for his ministry. He wanted them to know that his part in the progress of the gospel was to be a pioneer missionary. That is, that he wanted to establish a church in a, in a city, train leaders there, and then encourage that church to reach out to their area and to smaller cities, uh, the smaller cities around them. And the reason for Paul's missionary philosophy is because He believed that God was using him in his larger plan to reach the Gentiles. We turn this down a little bit, Paul. Sounds like it's ringing a little bit. He wanted to reach the Gentiles so that the Old Testament could be fulfilled. That all the Gentiles would come to worship the Messiah, uh, the Messiah of both Jews and Gentiles. The Romans needed to know Paul's mindset because not only did Paul not plant the church at Rome, he had never been there. So these readers here in Rome, in Rome had, had never even met Paul in person. And here at the end of chapter 15, Paul moves from talking about what he had done in the past and what his rationale for that was to his future plans, what he plans to do in the future. And he, and he wants them to know about his future plans so that he can encourage them to join with him in spreading the gospel. Because the gospel cannot be spread by one person alone. But rather, Paul knew that he needed their financial support and their, their ministry support and, of course, their prayer support. And so if they're going to join with him in this partnership for the gospel, then they first need to know what he's doing. And so that's what he lays out here in verses 22 through the end of the chapter. So let me begin reading our text for us. Romans chapter 15, beginning with verse 22. This is the word of God. For this reason I have often been prevented from coming to you, but now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you, when I have first enjoyed your company for a while, but now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this, and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Can you advance that first one for me? So today we're going to see that believers ought to work together in the advancement of the gospel. Believers ought to work together in the advancement of the gospel. 
There's no Lone Ranger missionary work. Missionary work requires that we join with them in their progress of the gospel. And so in order for us to see our part in the work of missions, we need to understand what, what's going on with the missionary. And in this case, it's Paul. Paul wants to plant a church, but he wants to go to Spain. But before he talks about that, he wants to tell them about his desire to visit Rome. So we see that here in verses 22 through 24. Paul plans to visit Rome. He says, for this reason, in verse 22, I have often been prevented from coming to you. Paul, if you remember from our first study in Rome, in, in the, 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 the epistle to the Romans, Paul is writing from Corinth. And if you were to go directly from Corinth over to Rome, it would only be about 750 miles. It would take him a few weeks to get there. But Paul wants them to know that he desires to go see them first, but before he does, he has to go back to Jerusalem. We're going to see that here in a minute. Before we see why he's going back to Jerusalem, Paul wants them to know that he desires to see them. And we see this in verse 22. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 13, he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I have often planned to come to you, but I've been prevented so far because I want to obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul's saying, since, since the time of that I heard that your church was first planted, I wanted to come and see you. I've been anticipating com- coming to you because I know that you will provide for me spiritual refreshment. But up until this point, my schedule has not allowed it to, to come to Rome. Paul's been on these three missionary journeys. This is the last of which he's, he's writing from Corinth. And he's, he says, I want to come to you. And here's the reasons why in verses 23 and 24. Number one, there's no pioneer work left from Jerusalem to Illyricum. In verse 23 he says, But now with no further place for me in these regions. Saying there's nothing left for me to do. Last, last week we saw that, that, that he's preached the gospel everywhere from Jerusalem from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. In all that region he had established churches where he wanted to establish them in the larger cities and expected the gospel to sound out from there, like a sounding board. And he's saying, there's nothing left for me to do here, so I need to go farther west. You know where I need to go? I need to go to Spain. And since that is his plan, he says, I want to see you on the way. Secondly, second reason why he wants to go to, to Rome and see the believers there is that he's desired to do so from the beginning. He has this desire to see Roman Christians at the end of verse 23. He says, I want to be helped on my way there by you. That is on to Spain when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Paul knows that he will be refreshed by them, and he's confident that, that they will be an encouragement to him. He loves them. He hasn't met them, but he, he knows that they're, they're uh, consistent in their, in their faith, and he wants to, to be with them and spend some time with them. The third reason that he wants to go see them is because he needs their help to get to Spain. In verse 24, Whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing, and to be helped on my way there by you. So he's expecting that, that he's going to be helped by them. That in, in order for him to get there logistically, he needs, a, he needs someone close to Spain that, that can actually provide supplies for him when necessary. Now, we have to think about this in terms of, of what Paul is doing, right? 
Spain is way out there to the west. And Paul's over here, his sending church is way over here in Antioch, just north of Jerusalem. And for them to be able to get supplies to him and even to have messengers go back and forth would be difficult. So he's saying, I need a closer, I need a closer support group. And that's Rome. You're much closer. Instead of 1,500 miles away, it's only 750 miles away. So he expects to kind of set up his base there. Like, like you are, if you're behind me, then you can help me on my way. And he wants to see them buy into this desire to reach the people in Spain with the gospel. And Paul knows that if these Roman believers have really embraced the gospel, right? if they have accepted the gospel for themselves because someone brought it to them, then they will be concerned about these people over in Spain who have never heard the gospel. So Paul desires to go to Spain. With all these great plans to go to Spain by way of Rome, Paul has to ensure them that they're going to have to wait to see him. It seems to me like they want to see him as much as he wants to see them, but he wants them to know that they're going to have to wait because there's something more pressing than him going to Rome. There's something more pressing. Remember, he's in Corinth. Rome is here. It's only a couple hundred miles away. And, and it's on the way to Spain. It would make a lot of sense for, for him to, to go to, from Corinth to Rome. But he's saying there's something more pressing than me to see you or me to go to Spain. There's something more pressing right now. And that is that I must first go back to Jerusalem. In verses 25 through 28, Paul's plan to visit Jerusalem. In verse 25, we see the purpose. Why did Paul need to go to Jerusalem? He says, I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. It would be great if I could come to you in Rome right now. But I first have to serve the saints. And specifically what he's talking about is this collection that he's taken up in verses 26 through 28. And he's taken up this collection throughout many of the churches that had been established and he needs to take this collection back to Jerusalem to the saints there. And he's saying that, yes, the gospel does need to go to, to Spain. Yes, I do need to come and receive spiritual refreshment from you. But there's something more critically important right now. And that is that I take this collection back to Jerusalem. Now, this is not a small deal. Paul is actually going in the exact opposite direction of where he's supposed to be going. Instead of going west, he goes east. Instead of going 800 miles to the west, he goes 800 miles to the east, back to Jerusalem. And, and Jerusalem also, this is, this is extremely important to understand, that Jerusalem was the center of Christian opposition. And specifically, opposition against Paul. The Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem hated Paul. Why? Why? Because he used to be one of them, right? He was a Pharisee. And so they saw him as a traitor. That he had turned against them. And all of, friends, all of Paul's friends, his Christian friends, knew about that. They knew that Jerusalem was, a, was an oppositional place to go to. A defiant place against the gospel and against Paul. And yet Paul's saying, listen, I know it's dangerous for me to go there. I know it's in the opposite direction, but it's that critical that this collection goes there. So why? Why so critical? Paul is going to Jerusalem to deliver this monetary gift to the church that he had collected uh, this money from. He had collected this money from the churches in the area 
of modern-day Greece. That's what verse 26 is talking about when it says Macedonia and Achaia. And Paul had made an appeal to these churches in 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Corinthians 8 and so on that, that, that they would take up a, a collection to help those in need in Jerusalem. And so in order for us to understand the importance of this dangerous trip back to Jerusalem, we need to answer two questions. Question number one, why did Jerusalem need help? Well, it could have been because of famine. And there seems to be indication in the scriptures that there was a famine relief that was necessary because of a famine. All of the, um, the funds there in Jerusalem, they needed to take care of themselves, were depleted. It could have been because of economic sharing that Jerusalem did. If you just think about where Jerusalem is, right there at the center of where all the Jewish religious feasts take place. If people were going to come back for all their Jewish religious festivals, they had to come to Jerusalem. And so what would all of even the Christians do? They would even come back and, and there would be this huge swell of people for several days at a time, weeks, and sometimes months. And so as a result, it made their care for people be, uh, be monetarily difficult. They, they had trouble caring for themselves because they had been giving of themselves to others. And, and probably it's a, it's a combination of both, that, that there was this famine and they were also helping a lot of other Christians. Whatever the case, Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem was hurting financially. So Paul said, I need to take this collection to them. The second question is, why did Paul have to go? Have you ever considered this? I mean, considering how dangerous this is, and if you know the rest of the story, it's extremely dangerous. Why did Paul have to go? Why not just send some messengers? And Paul gives a clue for us here in verse 27 why he had to go personally. He says, yes, they were pleased to do so. That, that is, these Gentiles who represent the churches in modern-day Greece, they were pleased to give this gift because they're indebted to them. That's the, Gentile, or the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. The reason they're happy to give is because they're indebted to them. And then notice the next part of the verse. For if the Gentiles have shared in their, the Jewish Christians' spiritual things, then they, the Gentiles, are indebted to minister to, to the Jews also in material things. So what the Gentiles needed to recognize, and they did, was that they were recipients of the work of the Jews. That the Jews received the gospel first, right? And, and then it went on to the Greek, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, that, that they received the gospel first. And so in many ways, the Gentiles were recipients of the, of the work that the Jewish Christians did. And so now the Gentiles are happy to pay that back in a way, not, not as if they're... But, but he does say indebted, doesn't he? He's saying that, that if they are happy to share in material things because of the spiritual rewards that they've received from the Jewish Christians. So what Paul is saying is, is that the Gentile believers have an opportunity to meet a need for the people that have been responsible for giving them the gospel. And wouldn't that be a great thing to do? You see, this, this taking of the gift to Jerusalem wasn't primarily about monetarily getting money in their hands. Paul could have sent messengers. Paul instead was more concerned about cementing the relationship between Jewish and Gentile Christians. And that's why he's going to ask here and just uh, later on in the passage to pray that, that, that Jerusalem will accept the gift. Look at the end of verse 31. He says, And that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. 
That is, they don't reject it. We don't want money from the Gentiles. That very well could happen. And Paul's saying, I need to go to make sure that this happens. Because if I... And the other reason, I think, is that Paul knew that if he coldly sent messengers in his place, that he would be saying with his absence to the Jews that they don't really mean much to them. Because do you know who else might have started to think that Paul was a traitor? Not just to the Jewish religious leaders, the unbelievers, but actually the Jewish Christians. Thinking that, Paul, you know, you're, you're a minister to the Gentiles. You don't care about us Jews anymore. And with Paul's presence, with Paul's bringing of this gift, of his collecting the gift and then bringing it to them, he would be saying loud and clear, hey, listen, Jews, I still love you. And I still believe that you are part of God's work and I'm concerned about the progress of the gospel in this place. And so please accept this gift on behalf of these Gentile Christians. And there's another benefit for him traveling as well. And that is that Paul makes another dent in the wall that has divided for centuries Jews and Gentiles. Paul is is working to tear down that dividing wall because within the church of Jesus Christ, that's part of what Jesus came to do. To bring to reconciliation those who were estranged from each other, Jews and Gentiles, people who were different from one another, who were once enemies. And so when Paul comes, he's, he's, he's tying up that bind, isn't he? he he's, he's bringing something to them that will, that will cause them to love each other. And so he says, I need them to make this contribution so that I can take it to them. Notice verse 27. He says, yes, they were pleased to do so and they are indebted to them for the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things That's not the verse I'm looking for. Um, Verse 26. Sorry about that. From Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints. To make a contribution. That phrase, make a contribution, is literally make a fellowship or a partnership. So this is much more than a monetary transaction. We just hope your bank accounts are, are high enough to take care of your needs. Paul wants to see them partner with one another in the gospel. And so he's bringing these two groups together. And so, in other words, the purpose of the trip was not primarily to meet a financial need. Meeting the financial need was important, but that's only a means to the end. The most important thing was that God would use this financial gift to cause the Jewish believers to realize that the Gentile believers were on their side and that they had benefited from their spiritual resources. That's what verse 27 is talking about when it says that they are indebted to them. So that's why Paul had to go. That's why Paul found going to Jerusalem with this monetary gift as more important than going in the opposite direction where there would be safety. Thirdly, we see Paul's plan to visit Spain. We've already seen hints of this, but he spells it out a little bit more here at the end of verse 28. He says, I will go on my way by... I will go on by way of you to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Again, Paul saw himself, as we saw last week, I'm not going to be one who's who's building on someone else's foundation. I'm the guy who, who pours the concrete, and then someone else comes after me and does the rough carpentry and all that. Okay, When it comes to planting churches, I'm not the guy 
who's the, the long-term pastor. Instead, I'm the guy who goes and gets a group of people together, tell them the gospel, see them come to Christ, build up, tra- train up leaders, see a church established, and then I pass it over to one of those leaders so that they can, so that they can continue. That's me. I'm, I'm the one uh, laying the foundation. So now what I want to do is I want to go to a place where a foundation hasn't been laid all the way in the West, as far as they knew, Spain, which in the first century was largely unpopulated and, and very much underdeveloped from what we know of it today. But Paul wanted to go there because he knew that there were people there who had never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he planned to visit Spain. In verses 30 through 33, we see Paul's plea for the prayers of the Romans. Paul's, uh, there we go. Paul's plea for the prayers of the Romans. In verses 30 through 32, he asks for them to pray for him. And then verse 33, he prays for them. So Paul prays for the believers there. So in verses 30 through 32, he wants them to, to come alongside of him in this way to, to help him in prayer, that they would pray for him. And that's because Paul is confident that God uses the prayer of his people to accomplish gospel purposes. How is it that the gospel is going to reach a a place, a people? It's through the prayers of God's people. And so Paul calls them to strive with him. Notice that word in verse 30. I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. The word strive means to struggle. Saying, struggle with me in this work of prayer. Not like we're struggling with God, like Jacob did with the angel of God. But, but rather that we're struggling with the, the rulers and the principalities and the, the rulers of, of spiritual for, forces of wickedness in heavenly places. We're, that's what our battle really is about in this life as a Christian. It's about the spiritual, the spiritual things. And it's no easy task to fight these spiritual forces, but the primary weapon that we have is our prayer. We not only need to fight these spiritual forces, but we need to fight laziness within our own persons that scream out to us to neglect prayer, that prayer is not that important. We, we often want to help people and we say, is there any way we can help? And someone says to pray. And, and we say, well, is there really any, anything else? But, but actually to pray is to strive along with that person in what, whatever's necessary. Paul asks prayer for three things. Let's look at these. Paul's, Paul asks prayer for three things. I, I don't have these on the overhead, so I have to write these down. Number one, protection from Jewish unbelievers. Protection from Jewish unbelievers in verses 30 and 31. As I mentioned earlier, Paul knew that he was going into hostile territory where the Jewish unbelievers wanted his head. They wanted to destroy him. In fact, some of the believers that Paul had talked to on the way back from Corinth, he's traveling along and as he's meeting different people, he makes it to Ephesus and some of the elders say, Paul, do you know what the will of God is for you? In Acts chapter 20, the will of God for you is not to go to Jerusalem because they're going to have your head. They're going to kill you, Paul. And so I know the will of God, and Paul says, no. I know you are concerned about my life, but I am persuaded 
that God's will be done in getting this collection over to them. So what he's asking here from the Romans is, no matter how hostile it is, that, that you would ask God to protect me from the Jewish unbelievers. That my singular focus is so set on the gospel and its strength there in Jerusalem that it would take deep root and that there would be no division there. And this is what we need in order to have division. Protection from Jewish unbelievers. Secondly, at the end of verse 31, he prays, he asks for prayer for reception by Jewish believers. The end of verse 31 says, And that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. Do you remember the service that he was talking about? He's saying uh, at the end of verse 26, uh, I'm sorry, verse 25, but now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. That's this gift that he's taking, this collection. He's saying now what I'm praying is not only that I'm protected from Jewish unbelievers, the hostility, but also would you pray that I would be able to deliver this gift and that the Jewish believers would accept my service, would accept the gift. That they wouldn't resist it because it's from these Gentile dogs, so to speak. Maybe they would see Paul as a traitor. Paul said, just pray that they will accept the gift. And then thirdly, he prays for safety in his travels to Rome. Verse 32. So that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. So you Romans, would you pray that God would cause me to come to you? So, so pray that I would have safety and spiritual refreshment from you. Now the question is, how many of these Roman prayers were answered? If you know the, the history of what takes place next in the book of Acts, was Paul protected from Jewish unbelievers? In a sense we'd say, well no, they were hostile towards him and they arrested him. But was Paul killed by them? No, there was actually a few plots against his life. One of them his nephew found out about and he was able to avoid. But there were a few plots against his life and God protected him. So maybe not in the way that the Jewish unbelievers or the, the Romans were expecting, but God did protect Paul from the Jewish unbelievers. How about the second one? Was the gift received by Jewish believers with gladness? Acts 21.7 seems to indicate that they did receive it with gladness. What about this final one? Did Paul make it safely to Rome? I mean, it depends on what you mean by safe. He arrived after some long delays, after having been arrested, after this terrible shipwreck, and when he got there, he was in chains. But he did make it to Rome, didn't he? And he did find spiritual refreshment from the believers in Acts 28, didn't he? And so God answered all of their prayers, and yet not in the way that they were expecting. Now let's add a fourth question, and that is, did Paul arrive in Spain? Did Paul arrive in Spain? Well, there's no biblical record that he did, but church history suggests that he eventually was released from prison in Rome after a few years, after having talked to the emperor, and then he was able to take the gospel to Spain before he died. So it's very likely that God answered all these prayers. Not on the timetable that we would expect, not on the timetable that Paul expected, but this responsibility of ours to join with our missionary in the progress of the gospel is critical to the advancement of the gospel. In verse 33, 
Paul prays for them. This is what Paul often does. He just breaks out into prayer in the middle of his letters. He says, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So he concludes with this short prayer. Let me leave you with a couple of applications. Number one, partnership in the gospel requires frontline and support ministry. So frontline is the missionaries. They're out there on the front lines talking to unbelievers, working with the hostility of the government potentially, with the hostility of other religious groups. That's the front line of ministry. But, but sometimes when we think about that, we think that that's the only thing that's important. But what we need to recognize from a passage like this is that our support of those people on the front lines is just as important. Just as much as we need them for the progress of the gospel, listen to this, they need us for the progress of the gospel. I mean, we could not spread the gospel to various parts of the world without people who are willing to go. Right? And they can't go without people who are willing to support them in it. And so we need to recognize that this is a team sport, so to speak. That we need to fully engage in this ministry, no matter if we are going or if we're the ones who are sending. We need to join with them in advancing the gospel. And that means that we need to join with them in supporting them through our friendship and through our giving and through our encouragement and through our prayer. And we'll talk about prayer here next as the second point of application, but let me just take this part of encouragement that needs to happen. The best way for you to know how you can help missionaries that we support is by doing one simple act of love, and that is to treat them as you would want to be treated. That's what love is. It's to consider what kind of needs they have. Put yourself in their shoes. Consider what kind of needs that they have. And then move to meet those needs. They have made a choice to follow God. And to take the gospel on the other side of the world, far away from their extended family, far away from their friends that they grew up with, far away from their church that they love, far away from all the things that they know best. And so if you were in that position, then how would a believer in the United States show love to you? And and that answer can be many, but I think basically it is to... The the churches in the United States would actually develop relationships with them so that they don't feel like they're all alone out there in this progress of the gospel. So we have the ability to easily communicate with our missionaries through email or through a letter or through Skype and just let them know that we're on their side, that we're keeping up with how things are going with them, that we're praying for them. You know, we don't have 100 missionaries at our church that that would make it almost impossible to keep up with all of them. We have eight missionaries. We We can keep up with everything that's going on with our missionaries as they report to us and as we have individual contact with them, let them know that you're praying for them. And, and if you have an opportunity, visit them. Certainly financial help is nice and important, but there's something far more important, and that is that they know that God is on their side and that you actually do care about them. And so go visit them when you have a chance. We have another missions trip overseas 
take an opportunity to go. Carve out a few weeks in your schedule and make plans. And then when you're there, be all in. Don't be wishing, you know, I wish I could be back home and better internet and, and all these things. Give yourself wholly to them. Be in the moment there while you're there. And I know from experience and from talking to these missionaries that few things are more personally refreshing and encouraging than for a missionary than to have a personal visit from one of their supporting churches. And so we need to partner with them in the gospel. Recognize that we are, have a, a critical job in the spread of the gospel. And then secondly, we join in the struggles of the people for whom we pray. Maybe you are the type that wants to be on the front lines. You want to be part of something much bigger, part of something amazing that is going on in the world. You want to be the person that's actually accomplishing it through your hands, but you're unable to go because of maybe physical infirmity or disqualification or because of your life circumstances right now, what I would encourage you today is don't give up hope. Because one of the ways that you can join in their struggles on the front line is by praying for them. Pray for the advancement of the gospel. You know, a young man who, who has aspired to the U.S. military all of his life, but, but has failed his physical, he doesn't have to give up hope on ever supporting them in any way. He may not be on the front lines, but he can promote and support the military. He can send packages and notes. He can make sure that they're receiving the proper funding and that veterans are being taken care of. In a similar way, prayer is not a passive duty or, or kind of a second-tier response that we need to do. Like The most important thing is to be on the front lines, and then, there, then there's prayer. It's not a throwaway responsibility. It's an active responsibility that I believe every believer must engage in. That we ought to enter into the needs of the other person. And I think we honor God and serve our missionaries when we do. Paul was confident that the success of his work was dependent on the prayers of believers. And can I remind you that the success of this church and that the success of every church represented by our missionaries is dependent upon the prayers of believers. I mean, who is going to stand up and join in the partnership to strive together with those on the front lines of the progress of the gospel? And as a church, that should be the very first of our concerns. And if we're going to enter into this relationship with you and agree to to help you in the progress of the gospel. And one of the things that you can count on from us is that we will pray for you. And one of the amazing things about our missionaries is that they pray for us as well. They, they know that they are dependent on us in many ways. Obviously, we're all dependent on God. We're, we are interdependent upon God. But, but they recognize their dependence on us and we ought to recognize our dependence on them, and help them by joining in this struggle with them through prayer. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the progress of the gospel. Where would we be if it were not for the gospel to spread to Rome and to Spain, to the Western world, and then with um, many believers who came across the ocean, established the 13 colonies and 
and wanted to do it because of religious freedom so that the gospel would be spread. And, and Lord, we are recipients of that spread of the gospel and of that desire even by Paul to see it go beyond his little uh, living quarters. He wanted to spread to the farthest reaches of the world. And so, Lord, we are uh, certainly indebted to the Jewish believers who had that in view. We're indebted to the people who have gone before us, established this church, who have spread the gospel to us. And Lord, we want to be a part of your work and your ministry here in this place and around the world. So, Lord, help us to take part in this support role of giving and encouraging and praying for our missionaries. And Lord, as we do that, may you help us to see the importance of it and the advancement of the gospel that is working through our prayers. And Lord, may we join with thousands of saints who come to saving faith because of the support that we had a part in uh, through this church. Would you strengthen us in our resolve to do this in Jesus' name? Amen.